Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk and daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. My name is Pastor Carlo. Again, I'm an assistant pastor here. I mainly deal with our youth ministry and student ministries, but I'm just super excited that I, I get the opportunity and the privilege to speak this morning. Um, I realized that it was, I kind of just read this on the internet, but a lot of times in the States, the one time a year the youth pastor preaches is the, the last day of the year because it's like the lowest attendance. But uh, Pastor Chad is the best and let me speak the first Sunday of the year, which is awesome. Which is very, very cool because a lot of my friends had to speak last week to like a crowd of like four people. So <laughs> I'm super excited um, to speak this year, um, especially because this is the very first Sunday of 2019. Who's excited? That is a new year. New year. And that's kind of our theme of what we're talking about today is that new year can mean new you. New year can mean new you. And who's happy that 2018 is over? You're like, oh, Thank God. Praise the Lord. 2018 is done. 2019 is here. I mean, I, I'm glad for that. Um, I've, taken up, I've taken up my own New Year's resolution. I was like, New Year means new me. And uh, my wife, Maddie, my beautiful wife, Maddie, has convinced me to do something to make me a little bit more beautiful. And that's something called the 30-day ab challenge. All right? So it's this thing where uh, I lie down on my living room floor on my carpet, and I try and do a hundred tight, uh, like every day, a hundred crunches or a hundred whatever else you do to make yourself have abs. I'm not sure. I've only done crunches so far. I don't even know what the other ones are called. But here's my hope. My New Year's resolution, 30-day ab challenge, is that after 30 days, I would no longer just have one ab, but I would have 30 abs. And I'm pretty stoked for that. And that is a really good place to say Amen. Amen. And uh, I just, I just want to let you know, um, this, this talk this morning is going to be, um, this, it's going to be great it's for anybody in the room that might be new to the church. And, and if you've been here for a long time, this is for you. Um, I believe that God wants to speak to you. It's not just for a specific kind of person, but I believe that it can actually speak to every person in the room. And if you would do me a favor, I don't know if you've ever had to like preach or public speak or, or, or at any, at any time in your life, but sometimes it could be hard, and sometimes it could be overwhelming. And what would help me this morning is if you feel like that's like, oh, man, that makes a lot of sense. Could you just agree with me? Like, can we go a little old school this morning? Like, I'm usually not one for tradition, but, I mean, this morning, let's get a little traditional. So you can say praise God. You could say amen. You could, you, could, you could shout out something when God is speaking to you. Does that sound good? Okay, okay, good, awesome. Let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are here. We know that your presence is here, God, and it's or we, we've, we already feel it. Uh, we can already taste it, God, and we just want to be closer to you. So, God, I pray that as I speak this morning, as we prepare that, Lord, these wouldn't just be my words. These wouldn't be my thoughts or opinions, God, but this would um, be lined up with your will. And Holy Spirit, would you speak right to our soul, right to our heart this morning, and that we would not leave this place the same, but changed. Maddie, I'm really sorry. Can I steal your water bottle? I didn't, I, I didn't want to do this, but I'm just like, I'm feeling a little phlegmy. This is not even in, this is not even a joke. <laughs> this is my 30-day ab challenge water bottle, so. Pretty awesome. Okay, that's good. I'm going to put it down here so it doesn't fall over and floods the church. 
All right, New Year means new resolution, and I believe that those are good things. Like, I'm all for you becoming a better person and maybe getting into shape or eating healthy or, or maybe you want to donate to charity, all those kinds of things. I'm a big believer in that. But I believe that there is one resolution that we've probably all ignored at some point in our life, probably up until today, because I'm going to talk about it and it's going to be hard. And the resolution is, this year in 2019, my New Year's resolution is I'm going to forgive myself. Has anybody ever written that down as their New Year's resolution? Yeah, I didn't think so. Me neither. Don't worry. Join the club. The reason why this is so hard, forgiving yourself, is because you know right now when I say, what haven't you forgiven yourself for, you can think of that thing. You can think of that deep, dark secret. You can think of that sin. You can think of that mistake. You can think of that thing in the past that has held you back. And maybe that was yesterday or a month ago or maybe that was like 20 years ago. I'm not sure. But forgiving yourself is so hard because you know your darkness. You know your mistakes and you know them more than anybody else knows them. And you know things that nobody knows. It's extremely hard. Have you ever stolen anything before? Just a, just a show. <laughs> okay. I got, I got a few. Wow, you guys are really honest this morning. That's awesome. I was expecting nobody to put up their hand. Let's just pray for these people right now, okay? Just kidding. I'm in that boat. I can think of three specific times where I stole something, okay? The first time, I remember I was a little kid, and uh, I was at Max Milk Corner Convenience Store around, around the street from my house. And do you remember the Hubba Bubba tape gum? That was like, it was like a measuring tape, and it was like purple. I remember I was like, I need that. And I was like five. I didn't have any money, so I just stole it. And I ate it, and it was awesome. And it, I felt terrible after. And then I can remember the second time I stole something. And um, I, I remember um, that my dad used to bring me to the music store when I was a kid. And we're going to talk about more of this in a second. And I was like, I want to be a drummer because drummers are cool. So I stole a pair of drumsticks. And then I can remember the third time. This is the only other time that I stole something. And it, I was in Bible college. And uh, I met Maddie, and I stole her heart. That's a good amen spot, by the way. That's a good amen spot. So let me get a drink. One sec. And your water bottle. Okay, that makes four. Those aren't, that's not on my notes, though. I want to talk to you about the story when I, when I stole a pair of drumsticks. See, I felt pretty blessed growing up in a house. My dad was a musician. He was actually, he's a tailor. Um, but, you know, I, I look at him even more as a musician because he's just, he's just so talented and so gifted. So my dad's played guitar his whole life. I remember him taking me on all these trips to gigs he would play. And remember back in the day when you would hire a band to play at your wedding or you'd go to a friend's wedding, they have a live band, not just a DJ. Like, that was my dad. You'd hired my dad, and he would play all the Beatles songs and all the Rolling Stones songs and all the other songs that you're probably not allowed to listen to back then. And it was awesome. It was awesome. He'd bring me to these gigs, and I would sit beside his amp, which was like this tall on stage, and i just admire my dad. I was just in awe of him. He's so cool. And uh, I just felt blessed growing up in a musical house. So my dad would always bring me to the music store. And I was like, okay, hey, guitar is cool, but drums... Like, drums are really cool. Like, when you, when you look at Sam or Gop on the drum set, you're like, man, I just want to be those guys. Like, they're just so cool. Like, how do they have rhythm? How do they coordinate four limbs all at the same time while keeping the metronome in their head? I have no idea. They're so cool. And for two years now, for two years now, I've been bugging Pastor Melissa to let me play drums, but she just doesn't think I'm cool enough. She doesn't think I'm cool enough to play drums, so I'm stuck on acoustic guitar. <laughs> no offense, no offense, Ben. You are way cooler than me. Um, just saying, just saying. So I'm going to try out again this year for drums. But uh, I, I'm always, I was always so thankful that my dad brought me to the music store on the weekend. 
And here's the reason why. is because I get to go see my dad play all these guitars that we would never be able to afford. But it was just like such an awesome thing. It's like when you're going to your favorite sports game. Like that was me at the music store. So I was in this mode of like, I want to be a drummer. Drummers are cool. What's the first thing I need? I need drumsticks. Now, I grew up in a very small townhouse that would not allow for a drum set. It would get us evicted, most likely. So I knew that I was never going to get a drum set. But I could get drumsticks and just like tap stuff, right? But I still had no money. And I was probably like 10 by this time. And uh, so I'm like, you know what? I, I, gotta, I think I just have to steal this. So I came up with this foolproof plan. And I said, okay, I know exactly what I'm going to do. So that weekend, my dad takes me to the music store. Go in the store. We're shopping around, hanging out for a little bit. My dad goes one way. I say, hey, dad, I'm going to go to this side. I'm going to go to this side over here and just check it over here. He's like, okay. I'm like, I've never been over there. In my head, I'm like, because that's where the drums are, and I'm going to steal something. And I remember finding the drumstick wall, and there's like a billion to choose from. So I probably grabbed the most expensive kind. I can't really think of it, but it's like, oh, that wood must be like Brazilian zebra wood or something. Something crazy like that. And what I did is I took the drumsticks, and I was maybe like yay tall, and I put it half in my pant leg and half up my shirt so that you couldn't see it, and I looked like a drumstick back then, so you couldn't really tell. It just blended in, and you would walk, and you wouldn't even be able to tell, and I did this yesterday, and, and it, you could totally tell, so that's why I'm not going to show you an illustration this morning, and it was awesome. I got right out of that store. No alarm went off. My dad didn't know. Nobody caught me, and I successfully, with my foolproof plan, stole this pair of drumsticks. And I get to the car. My dad opens the door, opens my door. And I go to sit down. And I'm a little bit stuck. And there's some going out that way, some going out this way. And my dad's looking at me confused like, what are you doing? And I had one choice. I had to confess that I was a thief to my dad. And I stole these pair of drumsticks. And he was pretty disappointed in me. And My dad showed me something that I I've learned that God shows his children, is that my dad showed me mercy and justice at the exact same time, where he said, I forgive you, I'm disappointed, I, I forgive you, but you need to go and return those, because I'm not okay with that. I was a pretty smart kid, because I got them out of the store without anybody noticing, so I just walked them right back in the store <laughs> without anybody noticing, put them on the shelf, I was like, yeah, you're right, dad, you're right, and uh, totally was able to get out of that consequence until the next time that I went to the music store. And I felt this like anxiousness as a 10-year-old going, oh my gosh, they know. They know that I stole the drumsticks. Like there's going to be a most wanted sign for Carlo, dead or alive, for drumsticks, the Brazilian zebra. Like it's, it's not going to be good. And for like years, like probably till I was at like 15 or 16, I was scared to go to the music store. Like, I always thought, I'm like, somebody must know this. So when I ask you the question, when I ask you the question, what haven't you forgiven yourself for? This is just a funny example, but you could probably think of something that still kind of eats you alive inside, right? We're all in that boat. I know I'm not preaching to just a few people when I say that, but I think we can all agree. Twenty nineteen kind of brings up this theme of new year, so that's a new me or a new you. But there's gonna be a moment this year where your past kind of comes creeping up back on you. Maybe that was twenty eighteen or twenty seventeen, two thousand, nineteen ninety four, whenever it was. It's gonna come crawling back on you and remind you 
of the sin that you committed or the wrong that you did or the person that you hurt. My Bible actually says something different. My, my God actually says something different about this, about who I am. We're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17. And this is a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to a church in a city called Corinth in the New Testament. And he writes this, uh, it's, it's really simple. This is kind of our, our text that we're going to go from this morning. We can put that up on the screen, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. This is some pretty good news, because that means there's hope for people like me, and there's hope for people like you, and that I actually get a fresh start. When I have a relationship with Jesus, I actually get a fresh start. And I want to read this scripture one more time, but we're going to read it from the message. It won't be on the screen, so don't worry about that. But listen to these words. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at Jesus that way once and got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. We look on the inside. And what we see is that anyone united with Jesus gets a fresh start and is created new. The old life is gone and a new life begins. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through Jesus, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. I actually believe that this is it. This is the start to a new me. This is the start to a new you. Resolutions are great. Please join me in the 30-day challenge for your abs, okay? Unless you already have 30 and then, well, it's nice to be you. <laughs> it's nice to be me. But the, uh, New Year's resolutions are great, but I want you to just take a moment, just kind of throw them out the window because if you do want to make your resolution learning how to forgive yourself this year, if you want this year, this new year to happen to be a new you, this text says it doesn't start with you. Like there's nothing you can do to just magically change yourself overnight from December 31st to January 1st. It's not going to happen. I'm 25 now. I've tried for 25 years. It doesn't work. But this scripture, anyone that is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. This is a start to a new you. This is a start to a new me. Now we've got to make this kind of practical. So there's three things that God has spoken to me that I believe if we can tap into this morning, we can actually be a new creation this year. And the things that have been haunting you of your past, you're going to be able to let go of them. You're going to be able to forgive yourself and love yourself. So the first point is this. If you want this new year to create a new you, you have to know that forgiveness is not achieved, it's received. I'm going to say that again. Forgiveness is not achieved, it's received. Many of us in the room today were believers. We, say we're, we would say we're Christ followers, we're Christians, we have a friendship with God. And we've accepted this forgiveness. You've said the sinner's prayer. But there's been many, many times and many moments in our journey where we just can't forgive ourselves. We say, oh yeah, I believe that God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive me. And I'm going to say something really bold here, and only because I also deal with it myself. Like I'm preaching to myself this morning too. But when we say, oh, I can't forgive my mess, that's way too big. What that actually is saying and proclaiming over your own life is that Jesus, the price that you paid on the cross, 
the justice that you paid for me, that's not big enough. That's not good enough. My mess is bigger than your sacrifice. When we say, God, I believe that you've forgiven me, but I just can't forgive me, it doesn't make any sense. Because here's the thing, the atonement, the work of Jesus on the cross, it doesn't have any gray area in the sense of like, well, Jesus died for like these like sins over here, but if you kind of are in this category, then like, well, I guess you're going to have to find someone else that's willing to die in your place. No, 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 no. There's no gray area. He either died for our sin collectively or he didn't. It's one way or the other. I have an illustration that I, I watched by this uh, pastor named Chris Valentin in California. And he said, um, he said, understanding the work of Jesus is kind of like a courtroom. Okay, so as I explain this illustration, by no way am I saying that someone that is in the court of law that has, you know, made a mistake or, or uh, committed a crime shouldn't pay a penalty of whatever law seems fit for that, you know, for that nation or for that city or whatever it is. That's not what I'm saying. But I want us to picture like we're in a courtroom this morning, okay? Let's say there's a fellow and he's committed a crime and I'm the person that's putting him on trial. And I don't have a son, but he killed my son. Like we're going to go heavy today to understand this. He killed my son. He committed a crime to kill my son. And in this courtroom, the law says that the wages of sin is death. So he has to die because he sinned. And then there's the judge, and the judge goes, oh, hey, I, I actually know you. I know you. I know your dad. Me and him grew up. We were really good friends. You know what? I'm actually just going to let you go. That's an example, a crazy example, but that's an example of mercy. When we're given freedom from what we actually deserve. Now, if we ever were in a courtroom and had a case against somebody, especially in that kind of case, we would think that that judge is insane. <laughs> we would think they're crooked because that doesn't make any sense. There's no justice. There's only mercy. In the same way, God can't just give mercy and he can't just give justice. So if God was only about mercy and just let everything fly all the time, he would be a crooked God, not one that you would want to follow. So God has this crossroads. He has to give justice and release mercy at the exact same time. So how does he do that? Let's go back to the courtroom. He doesn't let this guy go. This guy's mom stands up from the crowd and says, Judge, judge, I will, I, I'm going to die for my son and his place. And everybody's like, oh, wow, like that's... That's really nice. And so the judge opens his big book of everybody in the whole world. And he, he flips the pages and he finds her name, the mom's name. He says, oh, that's a, that's a good idea. But, but you actually can't die for your son's sin because you have your own sin. So actually we've been looking for you too. And we're going to put you on trial next because you actually have to die for your wrongs. And then the room gets really quiet as the son of the judge stands up. And says, Dad, I'll die for him and his mom and everybody else. And people are kind of confused. of like, well, how is that going to make sense? So the judge opens his book, flips through his pages, finds his son's name. He goes, you don't actually have to die because you haven't made any mistakes. You haven't sinned. You haven't done anything wrong. And that's what Jesus actually did. 
The Son of God stood up when you were on trial. You were on death row. And Jesus said, I'm going to take your place. And he was the only one that was able to do it. The only one. Because he didn't have any faults. So now justice has taken place. The justice of the law, that the wages of sin is death. Jesus died for your wages. For your sin. And God gives you mercy through that. It's the only way. Mercy and justice. There is nothing you can do to try and achieve forgiveness. Okay, there's not this checklist of like, okay, if I just do all these right things, say the right prayer, go to church, sign up for small group, all these kinds of things that are really good and you should do that, by the way. That's not going to make God want to forgive you anymore. The way that he releases mercy and forgiveness is because Jesus already paid your price. When we can actually tap in to the gospel and understand the price Jesus paid for us, you're not going to have the struggle of trying to forgive yourself because you're going to realize that what Jesus did for you is already enough. That's bold. That's, that, I, I'm saying that to myself this morning. That if I can't forgive myself, I'm saying God's work on the cross, God is a human being, Jesus Christ, is not enough. But I'm saying to you this morning that my Bible says that he is enough. And that he has forgiven your sins. That's our first step. You want this year to create a new you? You need to understand that God has forgiven you. All you have to do is come to him and ask. He's open arms there waiting for you. And maybe you've asked forgiveness for this a billion times. Make it the billion and one today. It's so worth it. Number two, number two is this. You need to let your past die. I think it's up there. Maybe the next slide. Let your past die or it won't let you live. So maybe you've made this, you've made this uh, action and asked God for forgiveness and you believe that he's forgiven you and you've forgiven yourself, but... We still live in this world. We still live on earth and things still creep up on you. I believe it was 2018 or 2017. We did this kind of like church-wide small group teaching through a book called The Supernatural Ways of Royalty. And uh, it's funny because I preached on forgiveness in that too. So I'm kind of like sharing some stuff that I did a few years ago. But Pastor Bill Johnson, who was one of the authors of this book, he says this. The devil keeps records of your past. Yet those records are powerless without our agreements. He is the accuser of the brethren, but Jesus is our defender. When we make an agreement with the accuser, whenever we, we make an agreement with the accuser whenever we look at our past. When we agree with the devil, we empower him. Every time we look in the mirror, we see our past creep up on us. This is the best opportunity for the enemy to try and sneak in and remind you of who you aren't. But at the same time, when you look in the mirror... And you see yourself and those uh, things from the past come creeping up on you again. That is the best opportunity for you to allow the Holy Spirit to remind you of who you are. How does he do that? This thing called conviction. Now we've taken the word conviction and associated it with bad. Because it brings up all of my bad stuff. The Holy, when the Holy Spirit convicts me, it's bad. Actually, I think we've like abused that word conviction. Because conviction is the best thing for you. The conviction is the best thing for me. When the Holy Spirit, when I, when I humble myself and I allow the Holy Spirit to come into my life and remind me of who I am, I'm going to look more like Jesus. 
It's the only way. So conviction is not a bad thing, friends. Conviction, conviction is the best thing for us. Maybe you've gone down the rabbit hole and you've like, you're like, well, what if I just come up with this brilliant idea and I'm going to continue to remind myself of all my sin and all my mistakes so I could just stay away from it. Because if I remember it really well, I'll never want to do it again. And how well has that worked for us? <laughs> Not at all, if we're being honest, right? It sounds a lot like religion, actually, because religion has a lot to do with your work. So if, like, if I just try not to do this, then it will work. Bill writes this about religion. It rubs our noses in the past to keep us humble. Reviewing our sinfulness of our past in order to become humble is a perversion. It actually creates shame. And shame is a power, poor counterfeit of humility. To maintain consciousness of our sinful past to help us become more humble is the cruelty of a religious spirit. It requires us to keep something in our minds that isn't in God's. In reality, it is much more humbling to live in liberty of unearned forgiveness. When we are forgiven, Jesus gives us permission to live as though we have never sinned. Paul said this in his letter to the Romans. Just like he wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, he does this to a church in Rome. says this, Romans 6, 11, we'll have it on the screen here. Even so... Think of yourself as dead to sin. Like, I love Paul because he was a bold preacher. Like, he, like, he didn't, like, sugarcoat anything. Think of yourself as dead to sin. This is a great New Year's resolution. <laughs> it is? Like, yeah. It's intense, but it's so good. I want my resolution this year to think of myself as dead to sin. Because you're no longer identified with sin. If you've been forgiven by God, you are no longer identified with it, but you're a new person. As I was studying and preparing this message, I was watching this sermon by a pastor named Perry Noble in the States, and he was talking about forgiveness, and he says this, living in our history, living in our history will prevent us from stepping into our destiny. I'm going to read that one more time because it's a great amen spot, even though I didn't make it up. <laughs> living in our history will prevent us from stepping into our destiny. Amen. I found really quickly that it's not actually possible to do both. We actually have to leave our past in the past if we want to follow the future of what God has planned for us. Maybe you're here this morning, you're like, Pastor Carla, you don't know what I've done. You're absolutely right. I have no idea. And maybe you're thinking, you know, I can never forgive myself because my wrongs are just the worst. There's a story in the Bible of a lady who probably thought that too. In John 8, Verses 1 to 11, and it won't be on the screen, and I, I won't have time to read it this morning, but I, I'm going to summarize it for you. There's this, there's this lady, and she's caught in the act of adultery. We usually skip over that, but that would be like incredibly awkward, all right? She's caught in the act of adultery. She's grabbed by the religious rulers, and they drag her and throw her into the temple court where Jesus is there. And they say, hey, good teacher. They're like mocking him, and they're trying to get him to say the wrong thing so that they can put him on a cross. Like they have proof for something. They say, hey, this lady, she sinned. She's an adulterer. And Jesus like kind of, he kneels down in the temple and he touches the ground. And he starts doing arts and crafts. And they're like, Jesus, this lady should die. The wages of sin is death. Like she has to pay the penalty. The law of Moses says that we have to throw big rocks at her head. That's what stoning means in the Bible, by the way. You would die by people lining up throwing rocks at your face. Intense. You might be good at dodgeball, but <laughs> there's no dodging that. And Jesus, 
He's doing his art and crafts. He feels interrupted and he, he gets up and says, yeah, you know what? You guys are right. You guys are totally right. Whoever is sinless, whoever has not made a mistake, go ahead, pick the biggest, shiniest rock you can find and go ahead and throw it at this lady. And then he gets back down and he keeps doing his arts and crafts and all the religious Pharisees are like, oh, shoot. And they, one by one, all walk away until the only people left in the room are this, la- this lady and Jesus. And Jesus kind of looks at her. And to be honest, I, I, this is not quoted in the Bible, but I picture that this lady was not standing up like, oh, I wonder, wonder what's going to happen next since I committed this uh, sin. She's probably on the ground weeping, begging for someone to let her go, for, for forgiveness or something along the lines of that. Like she was on death row in that minute. She was not just sitting there like twiddling her thumbs. This was an in- intense emotional moment. And Jesus is crouched down and he, he, says to, he says to this lady, he says, you're forgiven, so walk away from the life of sin that you've been living in. So you're in the room this morning and you say, I can't forgive myself. It's too big. My mess is too much. I was caught in my mess. It's embarrassing. Do you remember when you were a kid and you got in trouble and your parents or guardian would come to you and they would be towering over you and they'd be like, Ben, you are in a lot of trouble. And they start yelling at you in German or something like that. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. And you're getting a lot of trouble and they're like, I'm so disappointed in you. I know your parents never do this. <laughs> and they send you to your room and you sit in your room and you cry and you're like, I'm the worst kid ever. And you don't learn your lesson because you do it again the next day. And then there's a moment, remember, when you were a kid and, and your, your parent came to you and they, they went down on their knee. They skipped the arts and crafts and they, they looked at you and they said, Ben, I know that you messed up and what you did was not okay, but I forgive you and I want to help you learn from that. There's something humbling because Jesus actually does that for you. Sometimes we picture God as like this big angry dude in the sky that's just waiting to strike us with a lightning bolt. When really... He knelt down. He came from heaven to earth, humbled himself as a human being and said, I forgive you. Last thing is this, number three. You're called to love yourself too. We preach a lot in church about loving your neighbors and I'm a big believer in that. But um, you can try as hard as you want to love the person next to you. You don't love yourself, you will fail. Wow, that's an uplifting message, Carl. (laughs) Amen. Preach it. That's what my Bible says. It says in Mark 12, 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. Second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Those go hand in hand. It's not one or the other. There is no commandment greater than these. So how do I love myself? We, we need to make this practical this morning, okay? If you really want to love yourself, you want this new year to be a new you, you're like, okay, I've, I've, I've been able to forgive myself. I understand the atonement, the sacrifice of Jesus, mercy and grace. I've let my past be in the past and I'm walking into my destiny. But you just have a hard time loving yourself. You just don't like what you see in the mirror. You need to get practical about that. What was your dream when you were a little kid? When you're like, I want to grow up, I want to be this, I want to be that. Just shout out a few of them. Hairdresser, what else? Priest? <laughs> okay, what else? Pilot. Nice. What about you, Pastor Charlie? Yes. Yes. And you're almost there. 
Seriously, he's like third in line to be like the like chief of Stratford, I'm pretty sure. So, for example, let's use you wanted to be a hockey player. And we're not talking about the Canadian juniors, okay? We're not going to bring that up right now. That would be really awkward. Ooh, he just went there. You wanted to be a hockey player when you were a kid. You would invest so much time in everything you do to try and achieve that dream or that call, let's say. You would watch hockey. You would play hockey. You would play hockey video games. You would sing hockey songs or song, that one song about hockey, all right? You would do everything that you can do. We're not going to sing it. You can do everything that you can do to try and make it to the NHL. I'm not singing it, Chad. <laughs> uh, I'll sing you the soccer one. Uh, there's no soccer one. <laughs> you would do everything that you can do to become this NHL player. My Bible says right here that the greatest commandment is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So if you're going to love yourself so you can love your neighbor better, you actually have to be practical about this. What are you actually going to do? Well, I have two things that you've heard about a billion times, but I actually know that they work. Because there was one point where I said, okay, I'm actually going to try this and not just listen to it on Sunday and then go home and not do it. Number one is this. You want to learn to love yourself? You need to worship God. In every season, in every moment, now, I lead worship on Sunday, play guitar and sing, but I know for a fact that God did not write in the Bible, those that are called to worship me are those that have skills of uh, music and can sing excellently with their voice. Because that wouldn't be me. I would not be on that list. Our worship is a lifestyle. When we begin to put God first in everything we do, we become to be more of the person who he created us to be. And you can't help but love yourself. Because you can look more like Jesus. And we had a really great morning of worship this morning. But I just, I just want to just pinch you <laughs> a little bit this morning and say, can you take advantage, begin to take more of an advantage of Sunday mornings when you have congregational worship? I understand that worship is not just a song or just 30 minutes. But I mean, like, this is a time where we come and we prepared. So don't just... Don't just stop and stare and kind of just be like, well, I just do this because I've been doing it my whole life. That is a moment to praise God because he is worthy. Number two, it's going to sound weird, but you've got to speak to your soul. And you might be thinking, well, that's kind of weird because talking to yourself is weird. That's what like weird people do. They talk to themselves. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about speaking to your soul. It's very different. So what do I mean by speaking to your soul? There are so many moments, like when you're looking in the mirror, and your past comes creeping up in you like we talked before, and the enemy tries to derail you of your destiny. That is your moment to say, I'm a child of God. I'm a man of God. He's given me a purpose. I have a reason on this earth. Whatever it is. So you have to get practical with it. And if you don't, I guarantee you, you will have a hard time ever doing it. And it can't just be on Sunday mornings when someone has a microphone to remind you of who you are. May, I, the youth have heard this so many times. So maybe you need to get practical in the sense of if you have a cell phone, you set a reminder on your phone every morning. And it says, God thinks you're awesome. So it's the first thing you read when you wake up. Not the Instagram notification or Facebook notification or email it's the truth about who God thinks you are. 
Or maybe when you're looking in the mirror and you don't like who you see, you're like, ah, oh, I don't love that person. Maybe I love going to Pastor Chad and Melissa's house because they have sticky notes all over their mirror in their public bathroom to remind me. It's probably for me, right, guys? <laughs> and it works. And I read them while I'm washing my hands or picking my nose or whatever it is. All right? I don't do that at your house. <laughs> and it reminds me, it reminds me of who I am. Learning to love yourself needs to be practical, just like what you wanted to do when you were a kid and you made practical steps to be a hockey player or a priest or a dentist or a policeman or whatever that would be. You actually learned about how to do that. We can make loving ourselves, which is our call, part of our call, practical. Okay, so we're going to take, we're going to take five minutes and then I'm going to let you go because I think this is really, really important. I'm just going to ask the worship team to come back up prayer team to come back up. And I love that we had a moment at the altar this morning. Um, but I believe that uh, we, need, we need to come back up. Um, and I'm not going to call you to come back up and make you come up here or anything like that. But I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. And we're going to sing a song um, called Who You Say I Am. And we've done it at, at church here a handful of times. But I believe in this moment, as the worship team comes up and if the prayer team can come up too and just get ready Maybe you're in the room this morning and you're like, oh, I need, I need to be forgiven by God. Maybe that's the first time. Maybe that's like a hundred times. Maybe you're in the room this morning and you say, Pastor Carlo, I have a hard time putting my past in the past. Like I just can't do it. It's always creeping up on me. Or maybe you're here this morning and you simply say, I just don't love myself. We're going to give an option to respond. Maybe we can get a few pastors or something just to come up and pray with people too. Let's just close our eyes and you guys can just begin to play. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room. God, I thank you that you humbled yourself as a human being and created justice so that, God, you can give us mercy. I don't say this or ask this to be super spiritual, but with eyes closed across the room, if you're sitting here in the room and you have never, ever, ever, like, I'm not saying like last week or two years ago, but like never, ever have you said, I want to receive the free gift of forgiveness from God. I want, I want to ask God for forgiveness. You've never done that. Real quick, nobody's looking around just to me. I just want to pray with you just right now, real quick. If you've never done that, I just want you to shoot your hand up and then you can put it right back down. Awesome. So a few more seconds. Anybody else, you say, eyes closed across the whole room. I, 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 really, I really want to be forgiven by God. You've never said that before. Awesome. Very cool. With our eyes still closed, if, if you're in the room and, and you can agree, you can, you can f feel like you're a part of one of these things where you either have a hard time forgiving yourself or you can't keep your past in the past or you just don't like who you see in the mirror. I just, I just want you to put your hand up real quick, put it right back down. And this takes a lot of boldness to do. Awesome. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait another 15 seconds because I know that there's more people in the room. You can just put your hand up and put it right back down. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, I thank you for my friends this morning, for their boldness and a response to you. I pray right now in this moment, Holy Spirit, you would remind them of who they are. 
that you've created them with purpose. God, thank you for the ones that have decided to follow you for the very first time. Thank you, Jesus. We know that you're throwing a party in heaven right now because more have been added to the family of God. So we're gonna take a quick moment. We're gonna sing this song. I'm gonna invite you to stand up. And if you would like to pray with somebody in very little detail or whatever you would like, I'm gonna ask that you would stand and you would, you would come forward if that's you this morning and you would pray with one of our pastors or one of our prayer leaders here. Come on, let, can, we, can we stand up? Can we, can we stand up for a moment? I know it's 9 a.m. service, you might feel a little sleepy. But this is our chance to respond in worship and a chance to remind us to tell our soul of who we actually are. So we're gonna sing, we're gonna sing this chorus a few times. Then I'm gonna come up and I have a scripture, a benediction I wanna read you. Then we'll release it for the day. But please don't, don't hesitate to come up here and I'm gonna be up here too. If I could pray for you, I, I would love to do that. So let's take a moment to sing. Two quick scriptures, and they're not on the screen. Psalms 103, 11 to 12 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The second one is this. Philippians 44, 3 to 5 says, Be confident of this very thing. He who has also begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you, and we'll dismiss this morning. Lord, I thank you for each of my friends in here. I thank you for this church. I thank you for Bethel. I thank you for this congregation. God, I pray in this moment right now you would bless them. Holy Spirit, you convict them. It's a good thing. And God, that 2019 would be a new year that helps create a new us. We commit this year to you, Jesus. We commit this year to you. We receive your forgiveness. We let our past be in the past. And we choose to love ourselves in this moment. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message. Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you. And that you come back and check out next week's message as well. 